Ben Ward has been teaching people for over two decades how to become great leaders. And recently, he published a best-selling book called Sellership. Sellership is a leadership parable that teaches some undying principles of leadership that apply to almost anyone who finds themselves in a position to lead people, whether that was sought after or just by circumstance. Ben and I worked together 16 years ago at a company called First Line Security. And even back then, I remember him being a huge positive force for good. He's since taken the last 20 years of experience leading and training sales teams, doing motivational speaking and leading masterminds and coaching to give the most impactful advice and lessons he's learned in a book that you can listen to in a few hours or read in just a couple days. It was a huge eye-opener for me to read his book, and I'm excited to share all his wisdom and some of his personal stories and ideologies with you too. Today I have with me an old friend, his name is Ben Ward, and I met him, oh my gosh, probably in 2005 when I had my, I was still in college and working at First Lane Security, and Ben has been incredibly successful as um, an entrepreneur, a leader, a He's done door-to-door sales and leadership for many, many years um, and now is a public speaker and a motivator and an author. So I can't wait to dive into his new book, Sellership, and talk about some of the things that I learned and some of the things that he shares in his book. So say hi, Ben. Hi, Grant. It's so fun to be here with you. And we have so many amazing memories from back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy how much time has gone by. So for anyone who's not familiar with you, can you give us a little bit of background? And honestly, I don't even know this. Um, I know you from First Line and you were already kind of a rock star there when I met you. So bring me back to what got you into sales and the door-to-door sales game and how you've, you know, launched that into this whole leadership career. Yeah. So it started for me, I was stringing rackets at Sports Chalet. And uh, yeah, paying my own way through college. I just went to a community college in Rancho Cucamonga. And I just was not making enough money to even just like support myself living at home, paying no rent. (laughs) And and so I, a friend of mine, um, he went out for a summer and he made Mm (laughs) $10,000. And it just was, I was like, what in the world? That's crazy. And it's um, a lot of money my, for a college student. Yeah. And I thought if I could do that, that would, that would change everything. Yeah. Like I would be able to pay for my college. I'd be able to get a car. And, and so I, uh, I decided to go do it. And, and on my way there, my parents, before I started, like I, my, my journey to actually starting day one, my, my parents were like, Ben, this is the dumbest thing. You should not do this. <laughs> and I, uh, man, I just felt deep inside. I'm like, I've got to, I got to step out of this situation I'm in. And so I, I decided to do it. And, and I had every opposition all the way down to the black, to a black widow that that's just like one of my like clearest memories that, that I had to break through was like the world telling me don't do it. Mm-hmm. Like my, the fears inside of me saying I'm going to fail. And on my, on my journey, to my first day of going out to sell door to door, straight commission job. I 
my car was breaking down and sputtering. Uh, it was a long drive and I got lost. It was all these, all these things and all the way down to, I, I ended up showing up to the apartment at 2 a.m. The door was locked. So I, I'm like, what am I going to do? So I went around the back and I jumped up to this fence and right next to my hand was this, was this giant black widow. <gasps> but like, oh Ren, seriously, it was the craziest thing because like every doubt and fear that was already circling in my mind and the reason I should turn around and quit like this black widow is like this symbol for me where I, I was up on this fence pretty high, about eight feet high with my arms extended and I saw it and I freaked out and I jumped back and I fell flat on my back. Oh no. And yeah. So when I was standing there and you met me several years later mm-hmm. after I, after I'd kind of gone through um, all of this, all of the struggle to, to get past the white water. But in this time from the beginning for me, this black widow, as I was laying on my back, I'm just like, this is ridiculous. I, I am so lame. Like, what am I, what do I think I'm doing? I should go back to my comfy $7 an hour job. Mm-hmm. And like the elements are telling me to stop all the way down to these insects saying like, and so I just, that was the start for me. And, and what happened was I ended up getting in my car, wrote in my journal, this whole experience fell asleep and I started my first sales day that next day. And I, I, I put one foot in front of the other and that's, that's my start. Wow. That's pretty amazing. So what were you selling? What were you selling at that first sales job? Home security door to door. Okay. Okay. And was that for first line or a different company? Yeah. Yeah. For first line. Oh, wow. Okay. So then you worked for first line for how many years? Five years. Okay. Okay, until the, for anyone who doesn't know, um, First Line had to declare Chapter 11 bankruptcy and had this whole, um, that is another story for another day. But (laughs) then where did you go after that? And what did your career look like after that? So I don't know if you know this, but I ended up, so the owner, you know, Red Thurston, the owner of First Line, he, he and I actually started a company called Elevate. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I did that for the the, the next five years, and we um, we basically um, got back up on our feet after the first line situation. And um, by the way, first line um, was forced into into Chapter Eleven, right. and they we'll tell the whole story later. But um, it was interesting because seven years later, first line beat ADT, who forced them into bankruptcy, beat them in court, right. and it was just it was a big crazy thing. But so Wright and I ended up starting Elevate and we did that and we scaled it. We grew it to 2000 salespeople all over America. Wow. Yeah. We, and we took that company public in 2010 and we, it was like a roller coaster because we had the major ups, the major downs. And ultimately with that company, um, I mean, I, I just have to own it. Like I ended up driving that company into the ground and I learned so many lessons that have been so meaningful and, and amazing and, and hard from that journey. Yeah, that's really humble of you to to admit that. I've got a couple of things that I am planning to admit as well today, but that it it takes a lot to say, yeah, I made these mistakes um as a leader and but you sure learn a lot from it. So then what did you do after that? After Elevate? So my my passion always has been leadership development. Okay. So even in first line, what drove me at doing the door-to-door sales wasn't the the, the sales of the door-to-door, it was growing teams and building people. And the vehicle happened to be home security. And it was one of the hardest types of vehicles, like door to door sales and like 
recruiting people to go sell on a 100% commission, no guarantee. And, and so for me, the, what I loved from that, what drove me, what gave me purpose and what got me up out of bed in the morning was, was just this, this idea that we could grow and develop. It's just this, I believe it's this eternal progression that we can learn and grow and become the best version of ourselves. And so that seed that was planted in first line with, you know, the door-to-door sales job and managing teams that, that we took into Elevate and build the company and did that. My passion in Elevate was also developing people and teams and, and leaders. And, and so I ended up going full blast after Elevate into leadership development. And I, I synced up with a company called, and in the healthcare industry, Plum Healthcare, and they are a leadership development company in the healthcare space. And I, I was a CEO for, uh, for one of their buildings for a, about four years after that. Wow, that's awesome. So that leads us right into your book. Unless I don't want to cut you off, unless there's anything else that you want to share about your career path that has led you to where you are today. Thanks, Grant. Yeah, you know, one other step after after that, after running the healthcare facility, a friend of mine started a business, him and his family, called Lularoe. And oh yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a women's fashion clothing company and. My buddy, um, I, he and I had been in masterminds together and, and uh, we kind of mentored each other in different things. He, they, they're, they were starting to blow up. They've, they've been going for a year or so. And, and he called me, he's like, Ben, I, like, I know you're doing your thing there with the healthcare industry, and, but I know your passion is leaders. We need your help. Come help develop our leaders. We have all of these sales leaders all over America. There are a lot of sort of accidental leaders, like a lot of stay-at-home moms that are super awesome. Mm-hmm. They've never been in leadership, and and they're killing it. And, and so I jumped in with Lularoe, and, and I I became um, I, I started working with coaching, training, teaching their top field leaders as well as their executive team. A lot of the members from their executive team in in. Um, high-performance leadership and how to draw out the very best in the people you lead. And so we scaled that. I mean, that, that company scaled to $2.2 billion in its fifth year. And, and so I, that, from there, that's where I just decided, you know what? LuLaRoe is never my company. It's a family business. And so I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and build my, my passion business forward leadership. And so the last couple of years or so, that's what I've been doing. And that's how Sellership, my, my new book, came to be. Very cool. Okay. So that leads me into my first question. Why is it so hard for myself included to transition from selling or, you know, being a worker bee and an entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it into leadership, because it has been a real challenge for me to figure that out, to really nail what that means to not just focus on myself and my own goals and my own, you know, put my head down and get to work, but to really also have the energy to pour into developing other people. Why is that so hard? You know, it's so true. You know, it, it's, it's a transition. It, it kind of, I, I think of it like this. It's making the switch from the spotlight being on you to the spotlight being on others. And mm-hmm. so like for high performing people, like they, the spotlight's on them. And it's, it's the idea where after the victory, who holds the trophy? And, and like giving that trophy away and being, being willing and able to, to take that spotlight off ourselves 
And because we all, we all love to feel appreciated, especially yeah. high performers. And they get a lot of appreciation. They get a lot of respect. They get high levels of, of admiration. And also they, they earn good money when you're high performing. When you make that transition, it stops being about yourself. And it, it really, in order to be effective, it, it has to be about the other people. Yeah, that's so true. Um, okay, so... I, I mean, I've learned so many things from reading your book and I was telling you offline right before we started recording that I just finished your book and really, really enjoyed how you kind of tell this parable. And I have to ask you right up front, it's this kind of parable story about um, people, you know, this new sales guy and this woman who is teaching him and um, the person who teaches her. And it's a very interesting parable. I have to know, is this all based on kind of a true story or are these just observations that you took and then made a fictional story out of, or is it some of both? <laughs> it's some of both. Okay. You know, it, it is a fictional story, but there's tons of like actual, I mean, it's filled with real life situations and, and uh, experiences and, and people that are meaningful in my life. Okay. Awesome. I wondered that as I was listening to it and it's on audible, which is really helpful for anyone who has things like I do in my life, kids and dinner that needs to be made. And, you know, the, I just, it's so helpful to be able to listen to it. So I really enjoyed that, but I want to ask, okay, what, What's like the first thing that you start out with if someone comes to you and says, I know I need help developing my leadership skills. What's, what's just square one that you start with? Square one ends up coming down to uh, what I call the secret under your feet. Hmm. And there's a, there's a framework I've developed over 20 years of working with, with leaders and, and to successfully make the transition into leadership. You know, it starts with a foundation and I call it the secret under the feet. And, and what this is, is um, it's, there's three laws of uh, what I call Genshai. And I don't actually, I don't talk about this in my book. I talk about this in, in my next book, actually, that I'm working on. Cool. Um, but if I'm starting, if I'm working with somebody and like you just mentioned, you know, this is where it starts. And, and the three laws of Genshai are actually embedded throughout the book, but it, it ends up coming down to um, the first law of Genshai is just, it, it comes down to this really important word, honor. And this word honor is really broad. We all know this word, but, but like peeling this back, it's about honor. When we honor somebody, we, we see them as they are. We see them as, as, as a human being. Mm -hmm. We see them as a person. And the starting point of effective influence it, it is not the things that you say as a leader. It's, a, it's not the things that you do as a leader. It's the way that you do them. It's the way that, you're, it's, it's your, the way that your heart is and that your mindset is. It's the way that you see the people that you lead. Do you see them as they are? And oftentimes, Corinne, it's so natural for us as human beings to, to turn people into objects. Yeah. Like there's three major objects just quickly, like three things that we do all the time. I do it. You like, we all do. Oh, it. I'm sure I do. Let's hear it. Yeah. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. Like the first thing, the first way that we turn people into objects is they become obstacles. Mm -hmm. So like, 
I'm like right now, like I'm sitting on this chair, like imagine me standing up, I'm sitting on this chair and I'm trying to walk across where this chair is at. And I have to move the chair out of the way. Right. Like I got to get the chair out of the way because it's standing in my way. And it's an, it's an, it's an obstacle, right. Mm -hmm. For me to get to where I want to go. So I just move the chair. And so, so often we do this with each other. We do this to people where they're just an, they're just an obstacle. So we move them out of our way. Right. Yeah. Like, Oh, I, Hey, I need to get to this place. So you know, this person's in my way. Boom. We just move them. We, and so like they're an obstacle. And the, the second way it's hard to visualize that without seeing it, but hopefully, hopefully um, if we had to visualize actually acted it out, it might've made more sense, but the, <laughs> it's hard on a podcast, but, but I got, I've, I'm visualizing it. I get it. Love it. So the second way is that we turn people into objects is they become vehicles. Hmm. And I like the first thought that comes to my mind is like, when I was in sixth grade, I, this, this is really dumb. And I don't know why this is the first thought that comes to my mind, but I was in sixth grade I, and I, I went to a dance and I had a crush on this girl <laughs> and I'm like, I was terrified to talk to her and I like, and I didn't. And so what I did was I found somebody else that I wasn't intimidated by and I danced on purpose, and this is really embarrassing and just like, it's pretty messed up to share this with you, but <laughs> this is like how we turn people into vehicles, right? So like, I went and I took this girl that I didn't really care about. I didn't like have what, you know, and I went in as, as close as I could. I danced to the girl that I really wanted to dance with. And I made sure that she could see me. <laughs> and, and so like, like that girl, I feel so bad about this because and this is one example of many, I'm sure they could share, but like, sometimes we do this where we turn people into vehicles. Right. And so the girl, I, the girl I was dancing with was just an object for me to get what I wanted, which was to be noticed by that other girl. Mm -hmm. And so the third type of, of object that we turn people into, it honestly might be like the worst, <laughs> like not to judge our, like ourselves on it, but like, it's probably like the most messed up one, which is that that person is irrelevant. And so like, if they don't even matter, like the human being doesn't even matter. We don't even see them. We don't even notice them. They don't even matter to us. And Corinne, I don't know, I don't know, but have you ever felt like, have, have you ever been led by somebody that you felt that like they made you feel like you don't even matter? Totally. Yes. Um, randomly, this is coming to mind where I was asked to be on a panel once and speak. Um, and there was a moderator and I was so excited to meet her and I met her and I said, Oh, I've, I've read your blog. I, I, you know, have really enjoyed reading about you. And she said, Oh, so you know me from the blog and didn't bother to ask my name or anything about me. And then went ahead and moderated this panel. And the whole time I was consumed in my mind about how, she didn't even ask me my name and just kind of treated me like, oh, you're one of my minions. Oh, <laughs> and man. it has, you know, it was such a powerful lesson for me to think I never, ever want to treat anyone that way who maybe I will meet someday who says like, oh, I've read your blog or I follow you on Instagram or whatever, like to try to treat each person like a real person because of how that experience made me feel. So, yes, yeah. I've definitely felt that way before. I love that experience. And, and, you know, it's true. Like it, it, it's such a soft skill, but I'm telling you, like, like you mentioned right in the beginning, like, where do you start? Mm -hmm. And like, if you're transitioning into leadership, like the starting point where you start 
is you take the people that you're leading and you just recognize that, hey, this is a human being. Like yes. it started, it doesn't end there. Like there's skills and things and you have to motivate and you have to get results and you've got to do it. But, but, uh, but without a foundation of this soft skill that lays a granite rock, hard, solid foundation for your leadership, this, these laws of Genshai, the first one we just talked about is just, you know, this, this, this idea of honoring people. When we honor people as people, we like people respond when, when they feel seen, when they feel like they matter. And people do not respond when we turn them into objects, like a, just an you know, obstacle in their way. You know, maybe they're just an obstacle in your way as a leader. Like, like you just kind of express like, or, or like, no, you just expressed the irrelevant. You, you didn't even right. matter. Or when we turn somebody into a vehicle, when, when they know like, think about it. We know this. When we have a leader that we feel like we're just a vehicle for them to get what they want, it, it just doesn't lend itself to effective leadership. Yeah, that doesn't feel good. I love that start of, you know, where to start someone off with being a good leader. And and by the way, I wanted to say this in the beginning and I will in the intro that I feel like all of the things in your book and everything that we're going to talk about today could be applied to leadership with your family, your children, or in a church calling or in a community leadership position, or if you are a school teacher or you ever coach a team, or I mean, literally everyone is going to have an opportunity to be a leader. So I think sometimes we think, oh, well, I'm never going to be the CEO, but this really, all of these principles can be applied to any time, you know, you have influence on, you know, a small group of people or a large group of people. So I really love that these principles are so applicable to everyone. Um, I, before you move off on that, I, I cannot tell you how much I love that you picked that up and you said that, because honestly, I've had like one of the biggest struggles Mm-hmm. with this is like honest it probably took me six months to 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 actually get over this struggle which is these principles a hundred percent like the whole book everything in it it's leadership principles for life right and the, the struggle was like how do you market that it's such a diluted market to just have this general like leadership here's another leadership book like mm-hmm. so I felt like I needed to niche down and and so I ended up choosing to, to embed these principles in a, in a sales leadership story. But honestly, they apply. And I, I feel like one of my struggles, I, I, miss, I feel like I'm missing a lot of the markets. You mentioned like stay-at-home moms. You mentioned school teachers and all these different people that 100% could, could benefit from these principles. But they're, they're embedded in this sales story or the sales leadership story. Yeah, it really, I just feel like more and more I find myself in situations where even if I, like I had a church calling once where I was supposed to lead the, um, the church choir. And I was kind of like, Oh, I really don't want to do this, but okay, I'll accept it because I was asked to. And, um, even in that, like, so there are so many principles that apply perfectly to that scenario. So anyway, I want to keep going with some of the really impactful things I learned from your book. So I want to talk about why it is selfish to not correct. And this was something that rang so true for me. And I, I'll share a quick experience. And then I want you to talk about why 
this principle is so important, but I, um, so I worked at first line and I knew you there. And then I graduated and moved out here to California and worked for a private equity firm as a legal assistant. And I could not have chosen a more different environment, um, to go from first line where there's TVs on every wall and, um, the Otis Spunkmeyer cookies and, um, you know, just like it's super, super casual dress and, music playing and people laughing in an extremely relaxed environment to an environment where you could hear a pin drop. It's so quiet in a private equity firm. And I had to dress up every single day and casual dress on Friday meant like instead of business professional, business casual, which was still like khakis and a a little bit less dressy shirt. You know what I mean? I mean, it was so so stringent there. And, um, I was kind of miserable because that exchange of environments was so drastic. And I spent a lot of time goofing around and not being focused and I would do my work, but I was not super happy with being there. And people were super friendly to me. I was friendly to them. I was getting my work done, but not going the extra mile at all because I felt like no one was really talking to me or giving me any feedback. And it kind of felt like, okay, I must be doing a fine job because no one's saying anything to me. And I had my first review, a first formal review of my life because, you know, with, I was Trevor Key's assistant at First Line and Trevor would never sat me down and had a formal review with me. So, um, the group leader or whatever of, um, the in-house counsel there sat me down this very intimidating older gentleman and gave me kind of a scathing review. And I just bawled my eyes out, went home, just felt like dirt, felt like nothing. And I was, I felt like betrayed that no one had even given me a glimmer of the insight into what they were disappointed in or what I needed to improve on. People just kind of smiled at me, said hi, went along their way. I mean, I had not had even a hint of a conversation of anything I needed to improve on. And I left like as soon as I could find a new job, a couple months later, I found another job and left because there was no coming back from feeling like I had been betrayed. So tell me why in the adverse, what they could have done right and why you say it's selfish to not correct and why it's so important to have like crucial, crucial conversations. Let's talk to me about that. Yeah. You know, like you just depicted, nobody likes, it's, it's not, nobody likes to be blindsided. Yeah. Like, it's just not, it's not even respectful. And I mean, here's the thing, clear is kind. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're clear about what's expected and maybe if we're missing the mark and just being clear about that, you know, there's, it, it's, that's kind. Now there's a way of going about that, which we could talk about, but here, so what I've learned is that if, if we don't make corrections when corrections are necessary, we, we're being selfish. And the reason why is because we're, you know, we don't want to be the bad guy. So we don't want to correct. And so we don't want to be the person. We don't want to be blamed for pointing out somebody else's, you know, where they can improve. You don't want to be that person that they go home to their spouse or their roommate and say, my boss is such a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so we shy away from it and we shy away from correction because maybe we don't, oftentimes it's because we don't really know how to go about doing it to to give effective correction that actually, you know, teaches, edifies, motivates, and inspires. Mm -hmm. 
So how do you do that? What are your tips? Yeah, you know, that's, that's where, I mean, first tip, I just have to say that I have to go back to the, to the foundation, the, the laws of Genshai. And we shared one of them. We shared the honor, which is seen as people as people versus objects. We kind of dove into that a little bit. Yep. And maybe the, the, next, um, the next law of Genshai will maybe answer this is the, is the second law, which is the secret that's deeper than behavior is, is the way that we do it. So there's the way that we give correction to people that we lead, like people in our lives, people that we love, like, where's our heart? Like, mm-hmm. are we genuinely trying to be helpful? Do they know that we care about them? Like, do they know that we have their best interest at heart? Like, do they, do they feel from us that we have confidence in them? I, I call this the four laws of leadership. And the four laws of leadership are the key to effective correction. Because the way that our heart is, if, if we go and correct somebody with a heart at war, when maybe that person, they don't feel that we even care about them. Right. And we're sending off signals. They're like, oh, like, I'm so frustrated by you. And then we go and correct. I mean, how are we supposed to take that correction as the other individual, right? Yeah, it's, they're not even going to hear what you say. You nailed it. Like they, they don't, it just goes in one ear and out the other. And it's like, and then there's resentment. That's the mm-hmm. result. Yeah. Right. Totally. What's our heart? What's we're like, what's our, like, are we serving each other with a, a caring and attentive heart? And oftentimes when we correct people, it's an act of service. It is an act of love, but the, you know, as a leader, you don't want to correct people, but if we don't make corrections when corrections are necessary, we're being selfish because we're more concerned about ourselves and being made to be the bad guy than we are in that person and honoring and caring about them and helping them to correct what it is that, that needs to be corrected. Yep. Okay. I want to ask you about, cause I read these, the four laws of leadership and one of them I was curious about, because you get into it a little bit in the book, but, um, when you talk about confidence, having confidence in people, I'm just picturing one of these newbie guys that like has their polo on for the first day. They have no idea what they're doing. Um, or, you know, that could be translated to letting your kid take the car out by themselves for the first time (laughs) or whatever (laughs) it is. How do you have confidence in someone who you're like, I actually don't think you have any idea what you're doing yet. (laughs) Oh man. So true. We all face this all the time. And um, I love this idea from the ancient philosopher Gertu. And he says that if you treat a man as he is, he'll stay as he is. But if you treat him as if he were what he could and ought to be, mm-hmm. he'll become what he could and ought to become. And, you know, I think it's such a good question because we, this is something we all face. What do you do when you really don't have confidence in somebody? Like, you know, maybe it's because they're brand new, like you said. Like, so like, yeah, yep. you shouldn't have confidence and you should have like all signs pointing to caution, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And in that case, like it starts with just this, this idea of seeing somebody as they could be. Now that doesn't mean that you don't make precautions. Like if there's, you know, taking the, 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 the wheel of the car for the first time, like there's just this, this idea, do they feel like, so my, my wife talks about this all the time. Her dad was so hard to learn to drive with. <laughs> 
because he had no confidence in them. And like every single thing was like, oh, oh stop, ah, ah. you know, like it was just, and it was just really hard. Everything was wrong. Everything that she did was wrong. And so she just like clammed up and mm-hmm. actually never learned to drive a stick shift. Oh, like even to this day, because, because of that, but yeah. And so, but when we, so here, let me share this. I, I Let me share this story with you because this is one of the most impactful stories of my life okay. actually. And it comes from, um, if you notice in my, I dedicated this, I dedicated sellership um, to Doug Johnson. Yeah. I wondered who that was. So this is the story of Doug Johnson. And, okay. and I knew that Doug Johnson believed in me. And here's how, like, so one, just it kind of exuded out of him, but here, I actually caught him one time. Uh, I was at church and I was, wa- I was walking down one of the halls and, and I don't know if, if you know how like the halls, like there's a corner and like, if you're walking down a hall and then there's this like hard, hard corner where it's yep. like, if you're a couple feet from the corner, you can't see the other, like on the other hall. Mm-hmm. Doug Johnson, I didn't know who it was, but this person was on the other side of this corner. They couldn't see me. They couldn't see me. I couldn't see them. I don't know who it was, but I heard my name and I was walking and I was just, I was just a punk, punk teenage kid, just trying to figure out who I was. Mm-hmm. And like, and I'm walking and all of a sudden I heard that Ben Ward. And I was like, froze. I was like, what? Wait, wait, who's talking to me? What? Like, and I froze and didn't, didn't want them to see me. There. You you're waiting to hear him say like that degenerate or something. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what's, what's he going to say? And that person was like, I would invest in stock in Ben Ward. Wow. And I, yeah, I was like, what? And I like froze in my tracks. I was like, what in the world? That's crazy. Who is this? And like, I started, I listened in for a little bit and I found out it was Doug Johnson. Wow. And Corinne, I'll tell you, like the impact that Doug Johnson had on me because I knew that he believed in me, what, what would happen? Kind of the craziest thing that would happen. I uh, like, so he would show up to my baseball games and I would see him in the stands and I wasn't like in my mind, in my heart, I was really good at baseball, mm-hmm. but the truth was I wasn't, I wasn't that good. And like, <laughs> and, but, but when Doug Johnson came to my games, he believed in me. I knew he believed in me. He had confidence in me. He would invest in me in stock, you know, and he talked about, and he, and he made me feel like I mattered. And what happened was my baseball game, when, when he showed up, I hit better. Mm. When he showed up, I made less errors. And so I learned this lesson that having confidence in, in the people that we lead is one of the best gifts. And now that could be with your, with a child that could be with somebody at church. If you're in leadership in church, it could be anybody in your life that you can influence and that you have a responsibility to influence giving that gift. Like Doug Johnson gave to me where I knew that he believed in me is one of the greatest gifts that we can give to inspire and unlock the very best in people around us. Yeah. Isn't that just amazing that some one off, he probably, and I mean, now he probably remembers because you've brought it up, but otherwise he probably would never even remember that one comment, but it changed your whole life. That's so remarkable. <laughs> oh, life changer. And you know, those listening, this is, this is something I want to challenge you to who can you give this gift to mm-hmm. this gift where they believe they know 
that you have confidence in them. It's one of the, it's the free gift you can give to anybody that will help them become their very best. So when you talked about confidence too, I just keep thinking of the story of Trevor Keys, who you know, and I know, and he um, was an owner at First Line. And I don't know if he was the president or CEO. He and oh Wright kind of shared those yeah. titles, but... Um, I love Trevor Keys. Yeah. So such an awesome guy. Yeah, he's amazing and was such a huge impact on my life for good. Um, I mean like when I went through a divorce and couldn't find a job during the recession, Trevor gave me a job. And when you talk about like, you'd take a bullet for someone. I, when I came back from California and was broken and needed a job, I came to him and said, I need a job. And he said, I don't have a job to give you. We're, we're like in ashes here over at first line, trying to pick up the pieces. So go look as hard as you can for three weeks. And if you can't find anything, come back to me. And I did, I put on my outfit every day, even though I felt like staying in bed and, you know, knocked every door. I had a college degree, but I couldn't get a job at anthropology or the gap or anywhere. And I went back to him and Trevor hired me back as like, I was doing a little bit of everything, data entry and assisting and everything he possibly could to just give me a job because he knew that I needed to just be busy at that time. And another, another thing though, when you talked about confidence, I remember I was just like, I started out as a recruiter at first line and then I was doing like some office assisting or something. I was, you know, the, the office person that was handling the paperwork and processing the accounts and, um, but I was also Miss Provo at the time and I needed someone to believe in an idea that I had enough to kind of link arms with and, and sponsor, um, a charity project. And I found Trevor one time in the halls and I said, can I, I really need to meet with you. Can I have a meeting with you? And he was like, okay, show up tomorrow at 11 or what, whatever time it was. And I don't know if he forgot or he got busy or whatever, but he wasn't there when I showed up. So I just grabbed a chair and sat outside of his office and I sat for hours. I mean, I don't know if it was five hours or seven hours. It was something just insane. And people kept like walking past me in the hall going, are you still here? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I have an appointment. I'm going to wait. And finally, toward the end of the day, people were kind of like getting ready to close out the office. And they said, I don't think he's, I don't know how long it's going to be. And I was like, I, I, I'm not. I have nothing else to do today. I'm just going to wait till he comes back because he had something in his office. I don't know if his wallet or whatever, but I was like, I know he's coming back. So I'm just going to wait. And when he came back, he was like, you're still here. And, um, you know, he met with me and he did agree to do that charity project, which was um, ready to learn. It was PBS's reading program. And he got the guys involved that summer, guys and girls that were salespeople and um, but after that, he went and pulled me out of this like office position and hired me as his assistant. And that confidence that he had in me from just being kind of this nobody who, you know, wasn't on the doors, wasn't doing anything in sales, but he, he would talk about me to other people and say like Corinne's tenacity and Corinne's persistence, um, made me believe that I wanted her to be my assistant. And, and that confidence really just kind of propelled me into a lot of really good things in my life after that. Well, that's amazing persistence. And man, it's so true. The gift that we can give when we believe in somebody, that's, that's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you, Ben, um, is there like one experience or one thing that you've learned in your life that has impacted you that's 
that's really changed your life that, you know, because there's so, there are so many good things in sellership and in, it sounds like you've got another book in the works too. So how do you narrow it down to maybe like the one most important thing? You know what, for me, as you asked that, I'm just sitting here thinking and the, the, the dominant thought that just, just jumps out at me is uh, something actually pretty, pretty personal and, and kind of, kind of spiritual. And I, I'd, I'd, I'd love to share it yeah, here. We love spiritual and personal here. So let's go for it. Awesome. So when um, my, my partner, right, Thurston and I, we, uh, we, we had lots of success and lots of failures. And there was a, a point where it got so heavy financially and, and uh, we were essentially, the business was just uh, not working out. We, we'd already we'd gone public a couple of years prior and we weren't able to make payroll. Um, and so we had to go fly out to our top leaders and tell them we couldn't pay them, but we'd give them stock if they could stay. And some of them couldn't do that. So they left and others, others hung in there. And, and after about six to eight months of this type of a thing, it just was so heavy to bear. Mm-hmm. And my home was foreclosed on. My cars were ripped out of my house. Mm-hmm. Um, my, you know, my wife's is so demoralizing. Like my wife's car gone. She doesn't have a car. And then my car a couple of days later, you know, gone. And it just, it was so heavy. And we, I was losing my business and, and, I'll never forget. I remember just praying my guts out. I, I felt close to the Lord at the time, like, yeah. and but I'm like, what in the heck? Like, and I remember this scripture that from Matthew chapter 11. It's like my favorite of all time, um, 28 through 30, where it's like, "Come unto me, ye that are heavy laden, and and you know, take take your burden, like the you, like get, like my burden is easy and." you know, you know, all this stuff. I'm just like, holy smokes that like this burden that I'm experiencing Mm -hmm. is so heavy. It's like crushing me. And I, I, I like it. I wasn't able to pay for groceries and like, it just was so hard at this time. Yeah. And, and I remember being really ticked off one morning and I was just like, no, I'm like, heavenly father, this is way too heavy to bear. I like, I, I felt like it was like I was in, I call it black death. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like, it was such a hard time. And I remember being like, my burden is light. What is this? And I was kind of ticked off. And, and like the last four words of that, of that chapter in those, those verses is like, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I, I just had this like expectation that he was going to make it light for me or le- how I interpret it was less heavy. Yeah. He was going to make it easier for me. And he's not, where is he at? Like, he's not around. What in the heck? And I remember this, this moment changed my life. And Corinne, not one, honestly, not one day since. This was like 10 years ago. This has not come into my heart and to my mind, what I'm about to tell you. This little, like I had this little thought, this little, like I call it like little spirit, little, little revelation of like, where the spirit just talked to me in my, in my mind and was like, no, Ben, you, you're missing it. My burden is light. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It doesn't make any, uh, and I, and I, and all of a sudden the light bulb went off where, where my, the burden, like, so when, when Jesus says this, this word, my burden is light, like 
it's it's not the light as in less heavy light. It's the light as in enlightenment. And, and like all of a sudden it took on this brand new meaning that, wait a minute, he's not going to make it easier for me, but through the burden, I'm going to, I'm going to receive enlightenment. I'm going to gain knowledge, which is like the ultimate thing that we're here to gain, to gain yes. this experience and knowledge. And so my burden is light. I learned in that moment is these crazy hard things I was going through were actually turning into benefit to me, into experience, into knowledge, into enlightenment, not that he was going to make it light as in less heavy. Yeah. And, and this changed everything for me then. And it allowed me to, to go through the struggle and, and with a better perspective and to, turn, to, to allow me to, to realize that the things that, that are messed up in our lives, the struggles that we have, you know what, oftentimes are not going to become easier necessarily, but they will become beneficial. If we look back, the hardest things we went through are some of the very best things, even if it was messed up or tough or challenging, that bring us real light or enlightenment to our lives. Wow. That is so profound. I've never thought of that scripture that way, but I'm going to think of it in a totally different way now. So thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. That's so cool. Okay, we're kind of winding down with our time. So there have just been so many cool things. And you have to read the book, Sellership, or listen to it on Audible because um, it's such a cool story. It's it's. I love that you made it entertaining because it's a developing story. But then within that story, you learn all of these really applicable principles. And it's, you know, all these things that will be a gift to your life and all the people in your life. Um, so I want to ask you one last question. And that is, if there's one message that you want the people listening to this podcast episode to remember, what do you want that one message to be? Thank you. Um, you know, the, the starting point of, of effective influence with people around you as, as, as you have a responsibility to lead and lift people around you, the, the starting point of effective influence is seeing them as they really are mm-hmm. and also as they could be. And, and then getting to know that person, to align with them before you try to lift them and challenge them. And we've talked a lot about correction. Yeah. One of the worst things we do, this is what it's like taking a grenade and pulling the pen and throwing it on your own feet as a leader and your ability to influence. It blows up your influence when we jump straight to correction. Mm. Now, correction is needed sometimes, but the way that we correct and jumping straight to correction, when that person doesn't know that you care about them if they don't know the, the if they don't if they don't know that you believe in them if they don't know that you have confidence in them if 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 they don't feel that they matter that correction bomb is going to blow up on you and the result will be resentment and so i i just would you know the one thing i i just would challenge challenge you to take away from this for those that are listening is is has to do straight with the way that we correct people and being willing to do it when needed, but not so gun 
not so not pulling the pen too quick, pausing for a minute and saying, okay, do they know that I care about them? Do they know that I love them? Do they know they have their best interest at heart? Yeah. And and starting there. That's super powerful. Well, Ben, thank you so much for sharing all of these stories and experiences and where can people find you if they want to? Where can they find your book? Where can they follow along with you and learn from you and um, keep, you know, having your influence in their life? Yeah, benward.com. That'll connect you to my YouTube channel. That'll connect you to my book. You can get on Audible and, and, and uh, Amazon and, uh, and also the coaching programs and, and different things I have going on. Benward.com. So awesome. Thanks again, Ben, for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Corinne. It's been so fun. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. Oh,